And we will be continuing again in Matthew chapter 5, reading the Beatitudes. If you would join with me, I'm going to um, be reading the Beatitudes, starting in the beginning and then going through our Beatitude this morning, which is blessed are the merciful. This is Matthew chapter 5. Now when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Pray with me this morning. Father, we pray along with David in Psalm 86 that you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. We confess in Psalm 145 that you are gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy The Lord is good to all his tender mercies are over all his works. And even as we begin looking at scripture this morning, we pray for your merciful, continual, gracious hand over Don and his family. We rejoice with the fruit of his pastoral ministry here that will live on for decades to come. And we pray for those of us who have been deeply blessed under his teaching and care, the mercy we have received from his gifting and love, and pray that you would watch over us, have mercy on us as we um, seek to digest and Um, go on from this morning after hearing difficult news. In Jesus' name, amen. Difficult but good news. It is good news. Four things I want to talk about in this uh, passage. Unblessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The first thing is the dimensions of mercy. What is the dimensions? What does this idea of mercy mean? Believe that it is multidimensional. This Greek word for mercy or merciful comes from the root word elios. Elios has two components. It has both an outside and an inside dimension mention to it, the outside, the actions of mercy, mercy that is done through action from one person to another. Um, In Matthew, as we see how he uses this word throughout his gospel, we have a phrase that goes along with Elias. It's this phrase, have mercy. And four times in the gospel, this phrase, have mercy, is shouted out to Christ. In Matthew 9, 26, seven, a blind, blind men come to Jesus and say, have mercy on us. Matthew 15, 22, a mother cries out for their child, have mercy on me. Matthew 17, 15, a father cries out, have mercy on my son. Matthew 20, 30, blind men come to Jesus and say, have mercy on us. The response, the request for mercy 
is one of action. It's interesting that, that it, is, it is the giving of an undeserved gift or relief or help. Mercy is not just about forgiveness. Mercy and forgiveness are incredibly linked to one another. But mercy is not just about sparing judgment. In fact, in all of the have mercy upon us, the call was not have mercy and spare me the bad things I deserve. The call was have mercy and grant me the gift that I don't. Forgiveness and, the, and mercy are connected. Forgiveness is an undeserved gift, but this mercy incorporates more than just relief. It is the action of a gift, relief, or help. It is an outward action, but mercy also has an inside life, an inside dimension. Strong's calls this the feeling excited by someone's misery. There is more than action. There is an inner depth. This is why we see in the New Testament so often before Jesus does an act of mercy, he is described as one with compassion. Mercy is motivated by the action, or motivated by the inner life, which leads to the outer life of mercy. Jesus tells a story. Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. And they come to him, the religious teachers come and say, All right, tell me, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as ourself. Okay, all right, that's a pretty good answer. So who's my neighbor? Says, so he tells them this story, tells them the story of, of a man who's beaten and left by the side of the road in a dangerous part of town. And the Levite goes by, sees, crosses over, makes sure he doesn't get close to the damage and goes by. The priest, a priest comes by, sees him again, thinks, oh man, this could be a trick. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. This is too risky, too unsafe and passes the other side. Then a Samaritan man comes and it says this, he took, it was, he was affected, he took pity on this person. His inner life led him to extreme self-sacrificing outer mercy. And he goes and he helps the man, gives of himself, gives of his time, gives of his money to provide for this person. Jesus says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The experts in the law said the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told them, go and do likewise. Now, if mercy just lives in the inner dimension, just lives on our insides, we, we feel bad, we, we take pity, we, we, we are sorry, but it just doesn't lead to outer action. Mercy is pointless and gutless. But if mercy also is only on the outside, is only action, it's usually sourced in just a desire for us to feel good about ourselves or to relieve guilt because we know it's probably what we should do anyway. This type of mercy that we outwardly do something but are not inwardly impacted by the pain or loss or sense of need of someone else doesn't last very long. 
There's a scene from a show, Superstore. Uh, Superstore is a comedy, and, and uh, during this, the, the store is doing a drive in one of their shows, is doing a drive for underprivileged children in the store. And so as customers come in, the, the main character, Jonah and, and Amy, they're asking people to give to this charity. And so one comes in, and they asked him to, do, a man comes in, and they ask him to donate, and the man said this, I would have donated, but I already gave to the St. Louis Samaritans earlier today. I already gave and I posted on social media about it, so it would be weird to post again. And so Jonah said, couldn't you just donate and not post? And the guy said, so like you would post it and then tag me? And then he said, or you would just be helping some underprivileged kids from Jonah. And the guy said, and they would post it? <laughs> Do those underprivileged kids have phones? Like this was the concern. This is the nature of when we are outwardly motivated. We can get us a good status or it can get us a quick trip to help out. But when we are outwardly motivated, uh, driven by the excitement of helping someone out, but are not inwardly motivated by deeply caring for the plight of another individual, it doesn't last past self-motivation. Real mercy extends farther than that, or it will be cheap and never remain truly merciful when it's hard. Dimensions of mercy, inside and outside. Secondly, the source of mercy. The source of mercy. Where does mercy, what is mercy all about? As I've looked into what mercy is and how it's being used in the New Testament, this is what I believe. The source of mercy is power. Mercy has everything to do with power. The mercy fundamentally is someone who has power giving a gift to someone who doesn't in a particular situation. Now that power could be power of position, someone indebted by sin, and you, you have that position of being right when they have been wrong. That position could be one of money. It could be a position of being an employer or a teacher or a parent. It is someone who has the power, who can call the shot in a given situation and uses that power self-sacrificingly for someone in the situation who doesn't. Could be the power of influence. Those who are secure in a group, using their influence to care and look out for those who are not. The power of ownership. The power of ownership over our pets, over our property, over our stuff, over our land. The power of indebtedness. Someone being wronged or sinned against. Have the power over them, the power of resource. Those who have resources have and giving it to those who don't. Mercy is not just about the muscle of forgiveness. It is about the, the godly Christ orientation of using the muscle of power. Now, power has, owned, has earned its own bad reputation. 
for me, I, I had to do my master's, end of my master's project and, and did it on the generation I grew up in. And a lot of that research was done and study done is what happened in the relationship of my generation to authority, to power. When I grew up in my generation, every generation has their um, story. Power was not seen as something benevolent. It was, became seen as something corrupt. News cycles took off in ways that hadn't been understood before. Video cameras became much more prolific and and, um, news cycles, news stations, news media outlets, the internet kicking off allowed lots of news of bad things happening for those in power. And the safe structures, which we thought were safe, soon became suspect. Schools shooting of Columbine happened when I was in high school and all of a sudden that safe place, that event ripped up our idea that this is a safe structure. Now there are um, right drills for when shooters might come in and then all of the prolific news coverage post Columbine that has happened because of school shootings. We watched the Rodney King beatings happen on TV by police officers, deeply disruptive politicians. This was right in the middle of the Bill Clinton and the scandals and that happened. Those public servants are now seen as corrupt. This is happening right as the the scandals within the Catholic Church particularly Particularly, not that it doesn't happen in other churches, including Protestant, but the sex scandals from what happened in many rings within the priests of the Catholic Church became very public. Enron and and all of the, the, the corruption that is shown in big business mixed with child labor laws and people finding out where their goods were. What happened was structures that were thought to be safe Those power places were now seen as corrupt. My generation had more money pumped into it than any generation in the history of the world in order to advertise. So what naturally happens in my generation when we see an advertising, we think, ah, they are just after my money. They're lying to me. There's an immediate cynicism. If it comes from power, it is corrupt. To have power became having something dirty. Public servants were slimy politicians or officers on power trips. Concerned parents were over-oppressive jerks. Holy leaders were creepy clergy. Leaders of the free market were just privileged CEOs hoarding their wealth and exploiting others. This is just, and, and you say, wow, who are those people that had that mindset? Me, I am those people. I have a hard time with power. I, I, what I say when we talk about even leadership is I love leadership. I don't love authority, right? Like I don't, that whole sense of power and control for me feels dirty. And I grew up in a generation that had even less access to information than ones that many of you who are younger are growing up in now. Power, control just seems corrupt. This last week, as we had seven mass shootings in seven days, the last of which in Boulder, Colorado, 
the last of which that I'm aware of. There may have been more. Forgive me if I don't know that. In Boulder, Colorado, there was at a grocery store an hour-long standoff. I believe it was seven people, including an officer, killed. There was a man who was interviewed at the scene who's from Boulder, and he said, Boulder's like a bubble. He said, I felt like this was a safe place, and he was quoted about this. He says, it doesn't feel like there's anywhere safe anymore. That's a lot our relationship with power. Power corrupts absolutely. I've had a hard time with power. So its connection to mercy at first is not an attractive one to me. Power can be used to exploit or preserve the one in power. The reason that many of us have a hard time with power is because we have seen how selfishly and cruelly it can be used. But when we look at the scripture, power, while so often used to exploit and hurt, ultimately is a gift of God. And hear me what I am saying and what I'm not saying here. Psalm 8 says this, talking about how God created people. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. Psalm 8, 5 and 6. When God created people, he gave them this theological concept of dominion, of power over creation. You are a powerful being. Every one of us has power. And that is, we are called to steward that in the way that our king operates. Every one of us has power. And everywhere, hear this, that we have power, it is a gift to be used benevolently. It is an incredible chance to build the kingdom of God with Christ because here is how power is used in the kingdom. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. See, and very obvious from that logical step is, without mercy from power, mercy cannot exist. If those in power do not give mercy, mercy will never ever happen. It by definition cannot. And this is what I would say. Dear Christian, dear one who follows the name of Jesus, and if you are here and you're like, do not call me dear Christian. First, dear is weird. Okay? I mean, if you're here and you're like not, you're not saying I want to follow this Christ I would say you might even be put off by how Christians have used power. But if you claim the name of Jesus, you who, us who in our place in the world hold so much of the world's wealth, hold much of the world's privilege, we must use power for mercy. If I asked your children, if I asked your employees, if I asked 
those who have wronged you, past or present, if I asked your vendors that you work with, that you buy from and do business with, if I asked those who, if I asked your spouse who you have mistreated, if I asked your customers, if I asked your friends with different political views from you, if I saw how I spent your money, would we be known as those who use our power for mercy? Would we be known as those who are merciful, invest in mercy, practice her mercy when it's easy, when it's hard? Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, immortal, what is good, what does the Lord require to act justly and love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. If, if we could see all of what, how we deal, would we be known as people that, man... They just love mercy because mercy has everything to do with the gifts of power that we have in our lives. Third, the application of mercy. The application of mercy. Mercy needs to be seasoned when it is served. Mercy needs to be done well, like all of the gifts that we've been given, all the commandments that we are called to must be done well. Mercy without love gains nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, 3, if I give away all I have, an act of mercy. If I deliver up my body to be burned, an act of mercy, but do not have love, I gain nothing. It profits the mercy giver nothing if it is done outside of love. Outward mercy without inward love is not mercy or does not and does not produce. Secondly, mercy without wisdom is reckless. First Corinthians 5, Paul takes on a situation in the Corinthian church and he takes it on strong. You would not walk away and say, wow, in that instance, Paul was so calm and passive and quiet and gentle and merciful. He actually takes on a person and says this, about someone in the first Corinthians church. He says, when you are assembled and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. The goal that Paul has for this individual is that he might be awoken and understand the great. He has the highest spiritual good in mind for this person. But the, the way that he applies that mercy is intense. It, it's not gentle. It is for the sake of the person, but wisdom is required for how we apply such mercy so, and here's where I want us to be real careful because oftentimes what happens is those, of, those in situations that are not in a power position are told, you're the ones who are always supposed to be merciful. Be merciful and take it easy on those who are in power. It's a tough job, Right? And so what can happen when we're talking about blessed are the merciful, if we don't apply wisdom, is we can enable abuse. If you are in an abusive relationship, it is not wise to simply act like nothing has happened, forgiven, no problem. 
If you are being oppressed by a system, a person, a situation, and the calling of be merciful and just keep on forgiving is being used as a club over your head, the great action of love is not passive acceptance. Honestly, this is where we need to be talking with wise people in our life, not just being held underwater by, hey, you have to be merciful. Because the action of mercy is the calling for those in power. There is a calling in wisdom for benevolent resistance. And it could be a great act of courage when being held under. And forgive me if any of my words land on you as, oh, my calling is just to be always mistreated and to never speak up. Last, mercy without sacrifice is cowardly. We learn this from our king. To truly have mercy, it's not to just give when it feels convenient or simple. It's to give of our very selves. Who is Jesus? He is the broken body of God's mercy. He is the actual display of God's mercy on us. Uh, The Syrian immigration crisis... Um, that peaked about four years ago, um, was the greatest immigration refugee crisis that happened since World War II. And at, during that time, uh, my wife and I started talking a lot. And, and of course, everything gets politicized, and we, we weren't entering into the politics of it as much as entering into what is the calling of Christ I had a chance to write a, a four-page letter. I really want to know if anyone read it, but who knows? Four pages is long. Um, it, to Collingswood, about what is the Christian call amidst a refugee crisis. And, and I was able to talk through theologically and looking through some Old Testament, New Testament structures of what it calls to, to, to be looking out for the needs of the refugee. That those of us who are in power of, of, of citizenship and power of influence and power of finances would be taking our power and looking towards mercy. But I had to ask a really tough question. What about my home? What about if it took sacrifice for me beyond just writing a letter? And that was a real difficult question. And one that we had to ask as a family of, what if some Syrian refugees are allowed into our country more and there's no place to stay? That's when mercy gets really hard. And it takes great commitment because money's hard to be merciful with. Our space and time, it's hard to be merciful with. Forgiveness is hard. One of the three regrets of the dying, an article just published to someone, you can find many of these online of people who have worked in end-of-life care, and you'll often find this among the, the great desires of the end-of-life people. The regret of the dying is they didn't forgive. Why? Because it's hard. It's really, really hard. But mercy requires sacrifice or else it has no teeth, has no power. Lastly, and we'll conclude with this, what is the promise to the merciful in the passage? Blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. 
this is where this and, and the Beatitudes are a lot less about how do we maybe do all these things? How do we become poor in spirit? How do we become meek? How do we become merciful? And this is a step back and say, hey, let's just talk about who's talking here. Because this is about Jesus. This is about his kingdom. This is about his gift to us. When he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. A little bit, you say, well, well who are you? Like, you're just a guy on a mountainside with a, a little following. And you're saying, while you are standing there and helping the crowd sort of get ordered and walking amongst them is the Roman guards. Now there's power. Right? Who really holds the power in the situation? The guy on the hill who's offering some words or the ones who represent the, the dynastic empire? And, and as Jesus comes up and speaks these words, all of these words, it's sort of like, who are you to be able to say merciful receives mercy? Right? I mean, what happens when how blessed are the merciful read or meets how real life works? Can Jesus actually say, oh, I'll give mercy to those who are merciful? The 48 Laws of Power is a book that was uh, written a couple decades ago, and it's been called like uh, Machiavellian or uh, uh, Yes, like the art of war type of book. And in these 48 laws of power, the author tries to draw on what the world actually operates like. And in that book, it talks about things like if you are just appealing for mercy, you are not living the life of power. Uh, New York Magazine said this, says just reading the contents of this is enough to stir a little corner office lust. One of the reviewers of this book says this. He says, some people have trouble with this book because it's so blatantly power-oriented. He said, most of their trouble stems from reviewers that believe all people are good inside and that unicorns deliver their vegan low-fat cappuccino with cream. Well, most people aren't kind, and this book prepared me for reality. And I think that's the question, right? What is real here? So Jesus is saying, yes, those who live in this kingdom of giving power away, of, of using their power for mercy, and, and they will be in the very kingdom where mercy is the economy. The very people who are merciful will obtain mercy. Well, who are you, Jesus? Because what often happens is those who are merciful get stomped on. Let's talk about the real world, real messy families where, where love can run low and tempers run high, real workplaces where money is tight and mistakes need accountability, real communities where needy and difficult people are needy and difficult. How does this play out when those around us are competing for scant resources, trying to, to get the next position or posture for the higher place? Who is Jesus to say, the merciful receive mercy, when in real life, it often seems like the merciful just get run over? Let's talk about the Beatitudes if Jesus' kingdom is not that real. Real quick, look, look at these. 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, without Jesus' promise, those people are just broken. Blessed are those who mourn. Well, if Jesus' world is not that real, they're just in despair. Blessed are the meek. They're just taken advantage of. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. They're just left unsatisfied. Blessed are the merciful. Well, they're just destroyed. This is why the fundamental question when we come to this and we come to these beatitudes is not just what the promises are. It's who's making them. It's the question of what is real life. What is most real? Because if the Beatitudes are absolutely pathetic and terrible, if Jesus is not a king with real power to institute them, this is Palm Sunday. This is Jesus getting up on a donkey that has never been ridden before and is probably skittish and running around like, what are all those dudes with giant branches waving at my face? And he's going through, but how he's entering the city, he's entering into the gates of the city and Jesus on that skittish donkey, along with, probably did not get a permit for this, all kinds of other people and travelers who are annoyed at this scene. Jesus walks through that gate and what he's doing is an act of war. He is coming into the city, into the powers that be, being declared king. And Jesus coming, operating, living, enacting the great Samaritan with his own body and blood, declares in a blood-bought fashion that this kingdom is real. And on Easter Sunday, rose again from the dead to say that ultimately, to live this way, to live downward, to live in, in this meekness and humility and mercy is not an act of weakness. It is an act of kingdom power. And the question for every single one of us is simply this, how real is this king? Blessed are the merciful, for in this reality, they can be shown mercy because their king has benevolent power. If you would stand and receive the benediction this morning. This is again given in the plural. Blessed are they. It's not blessed is the one or blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. It's blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Receive this blessing this morning. Blessed are the people that have been so covered in the mercy of the king that mercy drips off of them everywhere they go. Blessed are those that use their power to give mercy, not hoard privilege, retain position, or use resource just as a way to take care of themselves. Blessed is the community that shows mercy in places where mercy is most scarce, in business practices where it is most disrespected, in homes where it is most foreign, that the kingdom of Jesus Christ may gain ground even there. 
May the reality of the real merciful king so bind this village together that they operate with mercy that begets mercy that begets mercy so that it becomes the very economy of real kingdom life, each looking to give to the other always enough to go around. Blessed is the gift that they give to a tired and judgment-filled world that can look on and find lasting hope that there is another real life. For there is a real and living king who still finds Samaritans in ditches and loves to bring them into the family of mercy. God bless you. We are dismissed.